to fishnets and philosophy this is your host mick spell morrigan and once again we are continuing to explore the question why horror where each week during this series myself and a different guest come on to unpack this question so this week i am joined by one of the other ghouls magazine writers and contributors um Becky so yeah if you can just introduce yourself say something a little bit about yourself and your just general connection to the world of horror. So yeah as Valid said my name's Becky Sace I've been a contributor to Ghouls I'm a freelance journalist that's worked for the likes of Metro UK, Digital Spy, Dread Central and also Moving Pictures Film Club and I mostly work in the realm of entertainment with especially this interest in horror when these publications will let me talk about horror. <laughs> Oh, I'd say that is the dilemma when you just like want to talk about one topic at all times, but your employer is like, no, no, we need you to talk about other things that you There's other about. entertainment, Rebecca, and I'm sat here like, no, no, there isn't. <laughs> I just want to write about Saw. <laughs> it all comes back to horror. It all links back to horror. You know, we can make everything horror if we want to. <laughs> exactly. Have you seen the news? We don't even have to try hard in the world of journalism. <laughs> This is, oh yeah, that's uh, that's grim. That's true. Yes, that's like even just true crime. You don't even have to go into fictional horror. It just exists as a topic already. Um, no, perfect. But um, as my guests would know, I and my listeners as well, that I like to kick each of these conversations off with this first question because every horror fan has their own unique answer to it. And I just think it's a fun way to get to know other people in the horror community. So for yourself, what was the first horror film that you remember watching and then slightly adjacent to it? Because sometimes these um, answers can be different. What was the horror film that made you a fan of the genre? That made You watched it and you were like, oh yeah, this is my shit. So I think the first, the first horror film I watched is sort of, Sort of between two. The first I remember that some people will say is a horror film. I think it's a horror film, but some people disagree with it whenever I say it, is Tim Burton's Mars Attacks. I think it was the first one I ever watched when I was about five years old. It's one of my earliest memories at my nan's house, watching it with my uncle and my aunt when my uncle still lived at home. And it traumatised me, how the, mon- like how the aliens looked, the noises they made, the scene when you've got like the female alien walking towards the White House. It absolutely terrified me I couldn't watch it I had nightmares I don't think I watched it for a good 10 years afterwards I was a teenager when I watched it again so I think that was the first one that I'd sort like sort of dip my toes into horror then after that I think the first traditional horror film I'd watched was um Nightmare on Elm Street I remember my mum talking about films and saying it was the scariest horror film she watched and since being a small kid, I'd always been interested in things that were scary, things that are a bit weird. So hearing my mom say this, who at the time, I think I would have been about maybe seven or eight, something like that, hearing the person that was like unstoppable, the person I turned to with every problem saying that something scared her, I thought, well, I've got to watch this. And I remember watching it and being slightly disappointed. It somewhat put me off horror, but unbelievably, because I watched it expecting to be absolutely terrified, and I wasn't. So... It sort of put me off at a small age, but then as I got older and sort of appreciated horror on a different level and appreciated film on a different level, that it doesn't have to be absolutely terrifying. I watched it again and took things out of it that I didn't when I was so small. But then after that, again, long rambling answer, but the ones that sort of got me into the horror genre, I spoke about recently on the Britflix podcast. I think the first that I really appreciated was The Ring when I watched that, it was the first horror film that I saw that chilled me to my core. I was absolutely terrified after watching it, couldn't sleep, just really, really disturbed. But as I'd said, from being a small kid, I was really interested in things that were scary. 
and put me in that sort of position. So I was just fascinated with it. I remember we'd had a computer at home when I was young, like trying to look up things about it as much as I could, who was in it, the law around it, other websites about it. And then after that, it was probably Scream was the film that really got me into analysing film and watching films and sort of talking more about what's behind them and the symbology behind them. And it's what I did my dissertation on when I went to university and studied film and media studies. And from then on, I just wanted to write about horror. Amazing. There's so many different tangents I could go on there, which I just love those type of answers. So never apologise for rambly answers. They're the best type. Oh, um, good. But no, I love you. <laughs> even in that answer. <laughs> Amazing. But no, I love how even in that answer you compartmentalized it into different like ways of enjoying horror in the sense that it's like, oh, there's a horror that scared me, but then there's the horror that like, you know, I appreciate it, but then there's a horror that I wanted to analyze. And I'm just like, I really like how your brain has just kind of put them into their little boxes. I like that. It makes it nice and easy to <laughs> flow the conversation. But actually, it does lead into um, a good question that I have here because you mentioned about, you know, how the first horror film that you remember watching was Mars Attacks that like just had an impact on you and it terrified you but most people wouldn't call it horror I'm wondering for yourself would you have a personal criteria as what you would consider this is horror this isn't horror like is it black and white or is it more kind of fluid and flux for you I've been thinking about this question since you sent me like the questions for this. It's really sort of got me thinking about horror and what I think horror is. I think it is quite tricky for me looking into it and boiling it down. It's films that sort of deal with the horrific and the dark and the disturbing or that have horrific, dark and disturbing characters. So I think that makes it very changeable for a lot of people. So for me, for that, like speaking about Mars Attacks, alien films really freak me out. So most alien films to me would be horror films, but then that wouldn't be the same for others. But that to me is what would class as a horror film. And I think Mm -hmm. it's where horror can get very blurred for a lot of people. And it's what can cause a lot of spats online about what is horror, what is scary, what isn't. But it to me is what I love so much about horror. It's so changeable. And it's that to me makes it very accessible to a lot of people. People can get into horror from so many different angles. Like you have things like I mentioned about like Mars Attacks, Beetlejuice, Nightmare Before Christmas, seen as like gateway horrors, but they're still horrors. They're what get a lot of children, a lot of young people into more sort of traditional horrors like the 80 slashes that we all undisputably know as horrors to their more sort of postmodern horrors and contemporary horrors that are the ones that get everybody arguing because they're not necessarily like horrors in that sense they're more psychological horrors they deal with things like sort of post 9-11 the fear of death destruction nothing meaning anything so it's all horror it's just all very very different 100 and (laughs) i love how it's like because as you said i did send the questions on to you so you kind of know which ones are coming up what you said there actually brings it into another perfect one but i do think it is such a subjective feeling as to what is or isn't horror how it affects us like for myself and i've used this quote so many times throughout this series because it's a very good quote and i'm going to use it again but um joe hill or joe hillstrom king stephen king's son he's known as saying you know horror isn't about creating fear it's about creating empathy as in you need to care about what the characters are going through and that's what makes it scary because you care for them but yeah so that's what it's about it's about having empathy for the characters in the film or the book whatever type of horror piece it is is what makes it scary rather than just creating something for the sake of you know jumps it's about caring for what the characters are going through but this actually leads into one of the questions because you talked about earlier about particularly in our kind of postmodern contemporary state of horror there are so many spats online about horror films and what class is horror or not and this is um something that i have seen and encountered a lot online and also in person having been to like a horror film festival it's like there are people in the world who think like this and I want to know what you think but 
we do see a lot of people online kind of bemoaning the state of modern horror, saying that, you know, there's no good horror films anymore. And I just want to know, like, where do you think that type of attitude comes from? I think it's sort of twofold, but also all amounts to sort of the same thing. I think part of it is nostalgia. It's from when they got into horror, loving that so much, and then sort of seeing the world move on and getting maybe less of what brought them into horror. But then I do think some of it also comes from the fact that they're seeing society change, they're seeing what horror reflects changing. So obviously horror has always been the genre that covers what society is scared of whether that be something that's particularly uncomfortable that we don't really know that we're scared of yet or something very outright that we are scared of like I mentioned like post 9-11 there are a lot of films that sort of dealt with the themes around that whether it be apocalyptic and the destruction of society or sort of that feeling of hopelessness Mm -hmm. so these people are sort of seeing the fears that horror is tackling changing and sort of what it sees as maybe wrong or who they see as the villain is changing. And rather than seeing that as an opportunity for their attitude to change and for them to change, I think some of them see it as a criticism on them and what they think is good or maybe what their ideals are and just kick back against it rather than thinking, oh, maybe my attitude needs to change or, you know, maybe my way isn't the right way and things are going to change as the audience changes. They just think, well, no, this can't be good because it's not what I'm used to. And, I don't know, I just think it's embarrassing to see. It's always people that want more horror films, want more out of the genre, but then they don't want new people to get into it. They don't want anything to change. It's it's just silly. I do think you see it less and less now. Like, I will say maybe it's just the corner of the internet I inhabit, but I've not actually come into contact with it a lot. But I do think it's getting fewer and far between, but you do still have, like you said, a microcosm of people that just think there's no good horror films anymore. Nothing's good anymore. I hate all this. It's too woke now. And it's just, it's embarrassing. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. 100%. And also just and anytime that I hear someone go, oh, this thing isn't good because it's gone woke or it is woke automatically just tells me that this is not someone worth engaging with because it's just and you know the film's going to be great because it's always the people that i know i know you shouldn't say all oh, these people have got bad taste in films you know taste is subjective it's always about films that are really good or that people absolutely love or they get all the accolades it's yeah it's always something that's going to be great so as soon as i see people moaning about that i know i'm going to like the film so sometimes I do like it when I see these comments because it just leads me on to another film that I love. It follows as one. Like, I don't think I saw people calling it woke, but I did see a lot of people moaning about it. So oh, it's not scary. It doesn't do this. It doesn't do that. And it's great. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, we could go on an entire tangent about how people react to films. But um, actually that one point that you made was like a really salient one. And I think it's something that's, really important to kind of focus on when we have these type of conversations but you were saying how a part of this attitude is like a nostalgia thing in the sense that people you know because like you know like all of us we tend to get into horror or whatever our type of interest is whether it's horror rom-com scythe whatever it is we tend to get into our massive big interest when we're you know developing as you know young adults like in teen years and so if we look at horror specifically whatever horror was when you're that age and you first encounter it that's what you kind of attach to so it is a nostalgia thing and you know that's why a certain generation of horror fan cough cisgender white man cough um, (laughs) who would have grown up with horror in like the 80s that's what they view horror as, as that tits and ass slashers. That's what, you know, anything else isn't horror because it's not that what made them fall in love with horror. And so that's why there is an older type of generation that kind of doesn't like the way horror is going. But it's going to be interesting, I think, as we see it, because like people who were like teenagers in the last kind of decade who would have gotten into horror when you know we had this amazing golden era of horror with like you know get out hereditary midst all these films that came out these type of more kind of slow burn very like textually social commentary films 
And now it seems that like horror always does. It's always kind of in conversation with the previous era. Now we've kind of leaned into more outlandishly campy type horror, like, you know, our Malignants, our Megans, these type of films that are just pulling no punches. They know what they are. They're leaning into ridiculousness. And it's going to be interesting because I think people who like view horror as this certain type of specific slow burn psychological horror are not going to be receptive to the new type of stuff that's coming out. So it's going to like, I think it's going to go the opposite direction in a way that it's like, we're going to have the more fans of, and again, I fucking hate this term, but it's the only one that we use, but fans of quote unquote, elevated horror could be considered more intellectual with their tastes like they're going to be the ones shitting on horror that's coming yeah and it's going to be interesting to see where it goes but this leads into another question and it's kind of similar to the conversation that we just had there but it's slightly different but there also is a type of you know attitude of people kind of will say oh i saw insert film name and it wasn't good because I wasn't scared and I want to know what you think about that do you think a horror film needs to be scary to be considered a good film absolutely not I think it's quite a difficult question because I mean first firstly and foremost fear is subjective what I think is scary someone else might not it's definitely an attitude I had when I was a teenager and like a young like a younger film fan and it definitely put me off a lot of films that I rewatched years later and really, really enjoyed. I think it's an attitude a lot of people have because we do learn from a young age that horror equals scary. And then when you're younger, you watch a lot of horror films and they do scare you more because you've just you've not been hardened by life yet. Everything's a lot scarier than when you're an adult and you think this isn't taxes, this isn't rent, it's not scary. But no, I, I definitely don't think it, you know, you can appreciate horror on many different levels. My ideal is a film that I enjoy, it keeps me gripped, and it scares me. Like, I think we were talking about it the other day, watching Terrified. Absolutely terrifying film. I watched it, just didn't move. My back hurt after watching it because I just hadn't moved and didn't want to walk through the house without the lights on. Like, that's the ideal. But then there's other films I really enjoy, like Hereditary, Midsummer. Actually, Hereditary is a bad example because that did scare me. But Midsummer, for example, that didn't scare me. But I love it. It's one of my top 10 favourite films of all time. It is a horror film, but it didn't scare me. But then I do know people who've watched it and it did scare them. So I I, I think it's quite reductive. And it, it really does a disservice to a lot of horror films to purely judge them on whether they scared you or not. It really closes you off to a lot of really, really good films if that's the only level you're judging them on. And sometimes I think fear can be different depending on when you've watched it. Like things like Terrified, when I watched it, I was immediately scared, but it didn't necessarily stick in my mind as in I'll always remember it, but it didn't scare me for days later. Whereas something like Hereditary, especially coming from the position of a mother, that film really frightens me that didn't necessarily frighten me when I first watched it but it played on my mind a lot more that and things like the Babadook uh, the Bone Woman a lot of things like that really played on my mind afterwards so amazing and yeah no I think that's such a such a good point and yeah as you said fear is subjective what scares one person won't necessarily scare another and I think particularly with this and it's as you said as well you know, when we first encounter horror films, we haven't been hardened by life. And I think, you know, I do kind of wish that film fans and in particular horror fans, but I guess film fans in general, were maybe more critically aware of themselves as they're engaging with whatever type of film it is that they're watching. Yeah. So, for example, like, you know, us horror fans, like, you know, <laughs> given that horror fans to a T, mostly only watch horror. Like They don't really watch any other media. Horror is what we watch. We've kind of been desensitized to a lot of it. And to the point where you can also, you know, kind of predict when a jump scare might hit. You, you notice, like, the filming techniques. You notice, like, what's used to kind of play with you so you're kind of expecting it and um, that's why I love the films that know that and play with it and it's really clever but that's a little side tangent but um, the point I'm making is that 
you know, if we go to see like the next, you know, James Wan or big budget mainstream horror film, you know, they're going to kind of be paint by the numbers. They're going to be a little bit predictable with the beats that they hit that we'll kind of expect them. So it might not be as effective for us, but if that's someone's first horror film, that could be like the most genuinely terrifying thing they've seen. So I just wish we were a bit more aware of what we're bringing into the films we're engaging with rather than just going, Oh, I wasn't scared. Therefore it wasn't a good horror film. That's so reductive (laughs) yeah absolutely i think how we watch films has a huge effect on it as well like the certain films like slashes especially i love seeing in the cinema because the reaction to it is what makes the experience and it can make you more scared if someone else screams or jumps then you're more likely to scream or jump whereas some films i do like watching alone in the dark at home so i really want to immerse myself in it and don't want to risk teenagers on their phones in the cinema but i think sometimes that massively plays into our reaction to the film as well like i do now try and give films at least two or three watches before i really think what i think about the film unless it is absolutely terrible i cannot sit through it the first time but that is rare really i've not seen many films that are that that i really don't like on that sort of level no 100 it is a rare thing and actually like you said there it's how we're watching the films that's such an important one because you know if we think about the way that we're watching a lot of films these days particularly like new films is like at home on streaming platforms because like less and less films are getting theatrical releases so and also when we're watching at home what's most likely to be right beside you as you're watching your mobile phone device so where our attention isn't 100% being paid to the film at all times unless it really grips you straight away which means that you haven't have you really watched it if you've spent like you know a good portion of it like on oh this is a bit of a lull and the, whatever's happening i'm going to scroll twitter like so that's it's a it's an interesting dilemma and it's something I have I haven't really thought much on but I do think that it impacts how we perceive films if we're not 100% glued into it which is why I think all horror films sh- should get theatrical releases so more people can appreciate it in that type of setting. Yeah, absolutely. I also think it's interesting you mentioned that about like the use of mobile phones. It's why I think things like social media horrors are really seeing a renaissance because if you're not staring at your phone, you're staring at someone else's. And I do think it sort of grips people in. Instead of them scrolling their own phone, they're reading the chat bars at the side of the film or they're paying attention to the different windows changing. I've definitely noticed it with myself, picking up my phone a lot less watching films like that i think it's really really interesting like host over covid when obviously it was filmed on zoom it was what everyone was used to seeing it was the social media people using so it was sort of more i don't i don't know i don't know what i'm saying no no that makes makes it's more it's easier to immerse yourself in it because it's familiar in a way which is kind of interesting because like now it's like and this is like isn't a question I prepared, but it's just a little brain tangent I'm going on now because of the way this conversation is going. But it's something that I've like definitely kind of encountering a lot with the more kind of horror films I'm watching as we, you know, go further on in time and become more of like a society that's just terminally online. That like maybe that's also why we're having this weird, you know, neon filled renaissance of like what the 80s were like when it comes to the films we're getting because so much of like i think particularly like you know the films that you might have grown up with and like if you grew up in the 80s or grew up in the 90s you know so much of what created tension and created fear was the abs you know the absence of phones in the sense that like oh nobody knows what can contact anyone and stuff like that that's a big part of what creates the tension and fear Whereas like now, if you set like a modern day horror, so many of those set pieces don't work because it's just like, well, someone could easily just pick up their phone. They could just go on the internet, whatever, and know who who it is that's attacking them. So it's that's why I think it's really interesting when you see more like films that aren't afraid to set themselves in modern times because I think you can be more inventive with the type of storytelling because like 
not to again not to be reductive but i do think it's kind of a bit of a cop-out if you're like oh i'm gonna set my film pre (laughs) smartphones yeah (laughs) like that way it's gonna be easier to tell the story i want to tell and i'm just like ah i don't know yeah i absolutely agree i mean personally i'm sort of bored of seeing horror films set in the past especially in the 80s because it's a very i mean it was a golden era of horror we had a lot of fantastic horror films come out of the 80s but that was a product of its time and i think I prefer films now that are set in modern times, or if they are set in the past, a period of time that isn't visited as much, like the 70s or something yeah. like that, I really enjoy. Or if we're going even further back, is something I'd like to see even more. But I do think it's interesting, like the horror films we are seeing that are being set pre-technology. sort of technology. Because I think it's it's interesting, the fact that obviously a lot of horror films, if we're like, boiling it down to basics is facing us with our fears whereas i think these films are sort of taking us away from our fears there's a lot of fear obviously about technology at the moment social media how it's sort of eroding communication the danger it puts us in when it comes to grooming the danger it puts children in the rise of ai i think there's a lot of fear around technology and then these horror films are drifting away from it which i think is very interesting in a genre that traditionally tackles these fears head on it almost feels like it's going backwards sort of which i don't know in history if that's something we've experienced in horror before but it is it is interesting it's it's not something i i enjoy like i quite like these sort of sci-fi horrors these more technology-based horrors or even just like you say horrors that aren't afraid to sort of look at why phones don't work or why they can't get on the internet it's just it it's more realistic to me it's more scary because i i you know, obviously have anxieties around technology as a lot of other people do as well. 100%. Like, there'd be so many different ways like, to tell stories around it. Like, even the sense, like, um, I remember uh, it was, like, a few years ago now because my was when my brother was still living at home. He's fecked off to Australia. But, um, like, my brother is definitely, like, one of those generations of people who's, like, pretty much, like, grown up with phones like he's still like Mm. a 90s baby but less so than me um but like he very much is on his phone all the time so we had like a blackout which meant there was no wi-fi and no phone signal or anything so he could not use his phone and he was like getting the shakes like he was like so could just could not get on his phone couldn't check to see what was happening with everyone and it was so interesting to see it and i'm just like it would be there's definitely a way to kind of tell some type of like horror story that deals with the anxiety of losing connection in modern times. Like it would be really interesting to see something done, but maybe I'll write a script. But anyway, I liked that point you made and this leads into one of my other questions, but you kind of talked about how it feels like in some ways horror is almost going backwards and that it's kind of constantly looking back rather than doing what horror normally does, which is kind of commenting on society as it is now and this is something I've noticed across a lot of our general media and I want to know what you think but what I what I felt initially when I started off this series but now my brain has kind of been turned the other direction but I originally was kind of thinking that you know horror seems to be the only genre not falling victim to this mass sanitization and kind of desexualization of the media that we're getting you know but then Originally, that's what I was thinking, because, like, you know, horror is always the transgressive kind of rebellious little, like, sibling when it comes to films. That's always like, no, no, I'm, we're going to continue doing it regardless of what society says. But as you would know, as having also seen Suitable Flesh at Fright Fest, that stood out because we haven't had horny horror in such a long time. So I want to know what you think about that. Do you think horror has also gone backwards when it comes to this desanitization and desexualization of media or is it still continuing to kind of put a little bit of a middle finger up to mainstream media i'm sort of like yourself i'm sort of in two minds about this like like you said about seeing suitable flesh at fright fest there were people cheering like we were cackling in the press room just from the excitement of seeing sex on screen for all of a couple of minutes. And I mean, it's a fantastic film. That's not to discredit it at all, but we loved it for that reason. It was so sexual for 
I mean, it didn't massively have something to do with the plot, but it doesn't have to. You don't have sex in real life for it to propel your life forward or your career. You do it because it's fun. And that's the same as films. But then when we were coming out of that film, we heard, I don't know if you heard it as well, but we overheard people saying they didn't like it purely because of that. I thought, why? It's such a strange thing to dislike the film over. If you like sex in real life, it you know, it wasn't exploitative. It wasn't, you know gratuitous rape scenes that would make people uncomfortable it was consenting adults having fun but then i feel like horror is sort of going backwards in that sense but then i do feel like horror is still transgressive in a sense that it is pushing the boundaries especially in terms of like lgbtq representation black inclusive people of color representation it's moving forward but i feel like sadly sort of as a whole it feels like a humankind is becoming more conservative as a whole so horror is fighting so much backlash against so many different things maybe sex scenes have taken a bit of a back step to focus on you know very basic focusing on humans that exist that shouldn't still be fighting for representation in 2023 against people on tiktok kicking off that a trans person's in a horror film kicking off that a trans person's walking down the street, let alone anything else. So I feel like horror is still transgressive in a sense, but it does very much feel like it's fighting against everything at the moment. Like going back to social media, going on social media and seeing anything pretty much about films that cover anything that isn't a straight white person at the moment, you're going to get backlash. And it just feels like a dumpster fire. And I don't know where we go from here, if not, focusing on that first and then tackling sort of everything else in maybe like a pyramid of need. <laughs> it shouldn't be like that now, but it very much feels like it is. I feel like it's a back step that's happened, but may, I don't, I don't know, maybe not the most pressing back step that it feels like film's taking at the moment. That is such a, that's such an eloquent point there that's been made. And it's something that kind of has somehow just like, my brain has just decided to kind of skip past this entire series. But you're right in that it's almost because horror is like having to tackle so much of these other pressing social issues about representation and identity. It means that like this kind of just general part of human existence, which is sex has kind of been like, you know, that's kind of had to been pushed under the surface and yeah, it's interesting. Like, I wonder if that maybe that is a part of it. But then I also like, I don't think it's necessarily an intentional thing either. Like, I do personally think that a lot of it is this almost like, you know, which has come first, the chicken or the egg type scenario. I kind of think, you know, that social media has so much to kind of answer for, for how we're influenced as a culture in that, you know, so many, so many of these big social platforms, Instagram, Twitter, it's still called Twitter. It may want to be called X, but no, it's Twitter. <laughs> this is the only time I'm willingly dead naming something. <laughs> it's still Twitter, but Instagram, Facebook, all of these, and TikTok particularly, but all of these big social platforms are very anti any form of sexual expression, like by adults, like literally adults wanting to express themselves sexually. And then... That's just in general, if you add in people who are doing sex work, oh, that's a whole other ballgame. And I kind of feel that because we've got these big, massive tech companies, which are kind of dictating what is and isn't permissible when it comes to society and that, oh, you can't be sexual because that's a no-no. You can't be seen to express yourself. That our media is responding to that in another way as well, in the sense that if social media, which is this big, huge new way of existing, it says sex is a no-no, then the media we're getting is almost going to be picking up on that and reflecting the same. Because if the media starts going, no, no, sex is fine, you'll get what (laughs) we see almost once a week now on social media is people having sex scenes in films discourse and yeah like i don't know how we recover from this but it i think you're right we do seem to be going in this weird kind of conservative 
regression with the puritines and everything has to be puritanical and chaste and as you said like oh sex scenes don't further the plot which means that they shouldn't be there and it's just like well one thing something doesn't have to further the plot to be considered a necessary part of storytelling but also they fucking do further the plot because how do humans relate to each other through having fucking sex? So, you know, that's how you exactly. have relationship gets furthered or falls apart. You know, so it furthers the fucking plot, you numpties. But... <laughs> I mean, even just as simply as being there, like, I... As a lot of people, I imagine as well, a lot of their early sort of knowledge from sex and identity towards sex comes from seeing sex scenes in tv and film and i do think it's a very necessary part of sexual exploration for she's he's and they's anyone who's watching any form of film and tv so i think these things are necessary whether it's necessary to the plot is beside the point but it's necessary for us as a society to have this exposure especially for young queer teenagers and children that may not have access to it otherwise depending on you know their background their parenting they may not be able to get hold of this material to understand who they are and their preferences without it being in easily accessible film and tv shows i think it's very very important from a sexual education standpoint even if people may not see it as necessary to a film i think it's very very dangerous having very sanitized media and very censored media because it's keeping this knowledge away from people and i i I never think that's a good thing no matter what that knowledge is 100% and oh yes that's such a good point and like you know in particular I think it is it shows the importance of having like sex scenes in films and tv shows like and like you know I like you know I am like a sex worker I do porn I love porn I think porn is great but porn should not be used for kind of like any form of sex educational purposes but also like particularly a lot of porn is very much gonzo based in that it's literally just showing these mad acrobatic sex scenes. There's no narrative to it. Whereas in like films and TV shows, the characters that are having sex, it's a narrative around it in the sense that you see the buildup to it. You see what these people's relationship is. It could be a romantic relationship. It could be platonic, whatever it is, whatever the setting is, you see how these characters use sex to relate to each other. And that is so important about, as you said, sex education and like sex education being more than just the fucking biological reproductive system. (laughs) A huge part of sex education that is not happening, which needs to be a part of it, is like how to fucking communicate and like, you know, understand your emotional state and emotional well-being. And yeah, I could go on a whole other tangent about that. But you mentioned a really good point there which leads into another question but you said that you're really kind of like opposed to this sanitization of media in general because it leads to like as you said like a type of censorship and I want to know what you think about that like how you feel about censorship because I do think this is something that a lot of horror fans in particular we do kind of have to have this little grapple with ourselves like do you think that there is a line on what is or isn't acceptable to be kind of portrayed on screen or do you think art is art and everything is permissible ah it's a good question I think it's quite tricky in that if we look at the art as a whole I don't agree with censorship I don't think there is necessarily a line that we can't cross I think that anything can be shown on screen and should be to tell stories to show history to sort of deliver stories and entertainment to shock people to upset people to scare people to enlighten people I think it's very important but then I also think that that is in that's in an ideal world where people will see it purely as entertainment and as art whereas as we know society isn't necessarily like that not everybody is that media literate so there is the very real danger of people seeing things like say a film that's covering say Nazi Germany or like modern skinheads there's obviously a danger that people will watch these things and take it as maybe not art and seeing it as it's something that should happen and while I don't think that's necessarily the director's responsibility I think it's a very sort of it's a very gray area in that I don't agree with censorship but then I think we do have a duty to make sure that people are media literate 
and people aren't. So then where do we sort of put things in place to make media safe and to make other people that are vulnerable safe that can be affected by this art that is made? Like there could be people making very sort of anti-LGBTQ films and really putting people in danger. So it's it's a very, very tricky area. In an ideal world, there would be no censorship. We would be able to make art and it'd be seen as art and appreciated as art. But I very much don't think we're there yet. But then where where do we go from there? Whose responsibility then is it to make sure that people are media literate? Is it like schools? Is it families? Is it something we have to do off our own back? Yeah, there's so many there's so many different like talking points there and like you know like i've seen some people say that they consider you know like trigger warnings and content warnings to be censorship which one i think that's just bullshit and um, anyone who says that is i i have i'll i'll be throwing words <laughs> um, but no i like i think i think there's like a say a difference i'm very opposed to censorship in the sense of like say the video nasties era in that like you have like a state body type of stepping in and kind of going we think this type of thing is not like you know good for society and that people shouldn't be allowed to engage with this media at all and so therefore we're going to ban it all and also because humans are fucking humans creating a list of all these things you're not allowed access is automatically going to make humans go oh here's a list of all the things that i should definitely seek out in the same sense that it's like with florida banning all these books stephen king like said if you see a list of banned books that lets you know there are books that you need to read to become a good human, which is so true because it's always going to be extremely right-wing and conservative, extremely religious type people that want to dictate what we are allowed to access or not. Like it's, it, you don't see like, you know, leftist people necessarily kind of going, Oh no, we don't think any of this should exist. We'll think some stuff shouldn't be made, but we're not going to like permit, like refuse to allow people to like, make stuff um but yeah it's like i'm very pro like trigger warnings like allow people to make a consensual decision as to what they're going to engage with as in like i for example as a like a survivor of rape i like rape revenge films i find them quite cathartic but other sexual assault survivors may not they could find them quite triggering so having a trigger warning that says this film will contain scenes of xyz allow that person to you know decide if they want to engage with it or not the other i think line that i would draw when it comes to what can is permissible would be like I'm very much opposed to any type of like real genuine harm being put on screen. So whether that's harm to animals or harm to actual humans, um, I'm just like, yeah, no, I don't need that. I don't think that needs to be done. Um, is does that mean that I say I'm going to say that a film like Cannibal Holocaust or something like that should never be made accessible to people? No. I'm going to, you know, it exists, it's already been made, people can decide for themselves if they want to engage with it. But I do think going forward, we should take harder stances on (laughs) these type of things shouldn't be done. But yeah, it's so tricky. It's so nuanced. Yeah, I absolutely agree. There are definitely the lines, like there's definitely lines I wouldn't cross. Like I can't watch films like that. I have seen Cannibal Holocaust. I find it a very, very difficult watch. Any like real harm or things that break the law now then yeah, I don't think they should they should be on film. I think, like you say, Cannibal Holocaust is a product of its time. There's a lot of films like it that are a product of their time. But yeah, things that are breaking the law, I don't think should necessarily be made. But then when you say like, things with trigger warnings, I think it's easy for people to look them up and make decisions for themselves, what they do and don't want to watch. There's certain films, like for example, mentioned earlier, obviously, like I have two daughters. When I was pregnant, I really struggled watching anything to do with like children in horror films mm. or, well, with my first, I did. With my second, I was the complete opposite. I watched a lot of things like that. I think it's sort of like exposure <laughs> therapy. But the first time round, I very much didn't want to watch anything like that. But then I wouldn't be sat there saying, I don't think any horror film should have anything bad happen to children at all. Because, I mean, I don't know whether I'd say people like to see children get hurt in horror films, but there's people that aren't bothered by that. And there's people that like being shocked by that. I mean, I don't mind that in horror films. It was just at the time, at that specific moment in time, 
I was just too anxious to deal with it. So I, I think it's, it's very much you need to sort of mind that just because something upsets you doesn't mean that it should upset everybody. 100%. And like, actually, that leads into another type of question, because like, as you said, some things are in there because filmmakers will know that they'll get a reaction or they will shock people. Like, I think particularly when it comes to like children dying in horror, it's one of those things where it's just like, if it happens and then you let the, it's like, you know, the film letting you know, oh no, we're not going to pull any punches. Nobody is safe. And it kind of makes you more tense for the rest of the film. But that actually leads into another type of question. And you kind of touched on it earlier, but you're kind of saying, that you don't think is necessarily a filmmaker's responsibility for how people are going to pick up their film, pick up their art. But I want to know, like, what do you think? Do you think, like, say, the concept of the death of the author can be applied to films in the sense, like, you know, is, like, both that kind of question of, like, you know, is a filmmaker kind of, like, I guess, responsible for what they're putting out into the world, but then also once the film is out there is does the filmmaker's intention matter anymore or is it just something that it's whatever how the audience picks it up is what the meaning behind it is i guess so many loaded questions i could talk about for <laughs> ages i, I think it's definitely sort of a gap between the two me personally if i watch a film i really like knowing what the director's intention was like recently when we mentioned going to fright fest we watched raging grace there knowing that it was based on sort of the director paris arcilla's experiences really made it so much more of an emotional experience and i definitely appreciated it so much more then i remember watching like the lars von trier depression trilogy the same sort of thing knowing what he was going through making those films and what his intention was with those films sort of gave me a lot deeper appreciation for the film but I definitely think it's a little bit of the two I think the director's intention is very important but I do think the audience expectation and what they take out of it makes the film what it is as well what brings a lot of horror fans together and what really leaves like a legacy for a lot of films is how different people read it differently it doesn't necessarily mean it's right like some people Mm. may read it from a certain background and say I don't know, like, this film is a queer love story, whereas other people may say, no, it absolutely isn't. This is a comment on masculine heterosexual relationships or this is a comment on an experience from a different culture. I think a lot of it sort of comes from our background. and It may not be the intention, but mm. I think it, it's it's how we get the legacies of film. It's how we read films deeper. And then there's also sort of the other end of it that I always question, I think a lot of people do know as well, is whether sort of who the director is impacts mm-hmm. how a film is seen as well. Because then you have people, obviously Roman Polanski and Victor Salva, where the legacy, like their crimes have tarnished the film. The legacies are just forever tainted now. So then there's a lot of arguments between people of whether you should even still watch these films anymore because of who these people are and what they created, which is a whole other tangent as well that I think definitely affects how people read media and even if you should watch that media in the first place. Yeah, oh yeah, the whole separate art from artists is such like a big topic and it's, again, I think it's one of those ones that there's never going to be an answer to it. It's always going to be back and forth. Everyone's going to have their own views on it. I kind of think the whole art versus artist thing, I kind of view it through the same lens of kind of like the censorship thing and that like, you know, I'm not going to tell someone what they should or shouldn't engage with. You know, if someone wants to engage with something, go for it. But I do think there's a subtle difference between, say, I'm aware that, you know, Victor Salva was a convicted child abuser. I'm still going to watch Jeepers Creepers for whatever reason. Um, that's fine. Versus... I'm aware that this is a really problematic filmmaker. I'm going to go out and pay to see their next film, or I'm going to continue paying for their merchandise. Because I think there's a difference between like critically engaging with a piece of art that's been made by a problematic person versus continuing to financially support a problematic person. And I do think the first one, 
I don't think it's fair to judge what someone wants to engage with. The second one, I'm going to side-eye you. Like, in the sense that, you know, the amount of people that rushed to buy Hogwarts Legacy, I'm kind of like, hey, as a trans person, <laughs> that mon- that the money from that game is going to be go all the way back up to the top and fund <laughs> she who shall not be fucking named. So, you know, I'm going to kind of side-eye. But at the same time, Everyone's allowed to do what they want. I'm not. I'm just gonna distance myself from people who are fine, support, financially supporting problematic people. But yeah, so coming back to something that you were saying earlier, like about the filmmaker's intention versus how people read it. Sometimes I kind of think what can happen is that you know the filmmaker has their intention. But then there's also what's going on underneath the surface, their subjective subconsciousness, which is influencing what they've made. People pick up on that and read on it. And that ends up kind of influencing how that filmmaker continues with their films. One of my favorite examples of this would be, say, Don Mancini with the Child's Play franchise in the sense that, you know, he was the writer on the first three Child's Play films, and then he continued as writer and director with the rest of the Chucky series. And, you know, like he was has always been a gay man. You know, he says at the time when he was first writing, like, you know, the Ch- Chucky character in the Child's Play films, he wasn't intentionally putting queerness into it, but queer audiences picked up on it because he, like, you can't, you can't not be queer when you are a queer person. Even if you try and squash it down or you try and push it to the side, it's still there. It's still there. And I love how he, instead of like kind of being reactionary, he was like, no, that's actually really cool. And he's just leaned into it and has now made it very textually on the surface queer, which makes Chucky like a queer horror franchise, which I love that. And also, side note, it just shows that when you allow one person to have full creative control of a horror franchise from start to finish, you get a consistent horror franchise and not like what we got with so many of those other big ones from the 80s. Banger um, after banger, each and every time. They're all good. And then the TV series as well is so fantastic as well. But um, yeah, I want to, like, that was actually my point. I was going to, like, ask, like, what you kind of. Like, think about that. Do you think that sometimes, like in that instance, an audience reading of a piece of media or of a film could, in a way, be more correct than what the filmmaker's intent was at the time? Oh, good question. I think it can be, yeah? Because like you say, queer people can't switch off being queer. And if you can notice that in a piece of media and then it sort of comes into its full potential, then yeah, absolutely. I think working with your audience as a director and as a filmmaker is incredibly important. I mean, you are making it as your art, but I'm assuming most filmmakers are making it to make money and to gain an audience and for audiences to love it. So I think it's definitely a very important part of making a film or of making a tv series i think it can go very far the other way when you're very much pandering to an audience to a point where it's putting things in there to uh, overtly attract a certain type of audience but then it doesn't make sense or it doesn't work as a piece of media i think it's a very fine balance but like you say don mancini with the charles play franchise i think is the perfect example of exactly that working with your audience to create something that is your art but also very much becomes it's you know the pinnacle of what it can be becomes its best self for want of sort of a better phrase by working with the audience what they see in it what they expect from it what they think the franchise should be 100 and actually just as you were saying that it just kind of popped into my head as well but it's another reason why i think you know a lot of the scream films lend themselves very well to queer readings because again the writer of scream kevin williamson is a gay man like you know so that comes into it like that's why there's such a queer reading of billy and Stu. like you can't not read that into it and i think part of that is probably again bleeding in from kevin williamson as a gay man writing those characters um yeah it's so interesting and 
just like, yeah, like you said, there's a difference between authentically telling those stories versus pandering, which is like, you know, as much as I do like, you know, as our beloved friend Amber would say, as much as um, I like my cape shit <laughs> films, um, a lot of the times Disney and Marvel are very much like, hey, we know that you like queer people. We're going to put queer people in the very back, like right hand corner of this screen yeah. for five seconds. <laughs> because when we release it in markets that don't like queer people, we can edit that scene out. And oh, I could rant about that for days. <laughs> rant about that for days but i shall not that we that will be for a patreon episode <laughs> um, but yeah and um, i could rant about that for days but i'm not going to be doing that right now but i noticed that we are coming up t- close to our our mark so to kind of close it off um two questions that are very adjacent to each other they may as well be the same question um but like the first one like, do you have any favorite subgenres of horror, and why in particular are they favorite subgenres? And then spinning off from that, because I imagine there'll probably be some overlap. What are like your comfort films from horror? And I know it's such an oxymoron. Like, which film am I going to look that's going to make me feel comfortable, even though it's like depicting the most terrible stuff ever? But what are your comfort horror films? If you've had a bad day, which films are you going to turn to because you just know you're going to have a good time? So I'll start with my I'll start with my comfort horror films, with a disclaimer. <laughs> Whenever I think of comfort horror films, it's the films that I watch that I can get lost in. So with that in mind, <laughs> my comfort horror films. The number one I turn to at the moment is either Antichrist or Peg Keeps You Tight. It's another one I'll always like stick on if I want to really get lost in something, or Hereditary that we mentioned earlier. Or sort of the more sort of fun ones like Jennifer's Body and the Faculty, I'll always put on if I just want sort of something in the background that I can come in and out of and I know isn't going to leave me feeling hollow when I leave it. But yeah, like something like Antichrist, I always sort of turn to because I know that each time I'm going to watch it, I'm going to get something new out of it. And also it just glues me to the screen from the very, very first scene, not just because of Willem Dafoe full <laughs> penetration for a couple of minutes but desexualization out the window with that film just it, it's just such a fantastic film so i love watching it to read something new into it and i know that the whole runtime is going to pass and i won't have looked at anything else so sort of the pay keepsy tapes because i just love the story in it i love that the first time i watched it how much it shocked me and even though it may not shock me as much anymore it's still one that I always turn to because I know I'm going to enjoy it. I love like the true crime setup of it, mm. or the mockumentary sort of thing. So they're sort of my comfort horror films. As for sort of subgenres, I always tr- like turn to. So the original that I love and one that I always go back to is slashers. It's like the first sort of ones I ever watched. I do think sort of that nostalgic sort of hack and slash, especially like summer camp slashers. I really really enjoy. They're really corny, but you know what you're going to get out of it. And virtually every single one that comes out, I know I'm going to enjoy it. If it's really crap and like every single other one, it's still fairly solid. If it's something a little bit different, that's just a bonus. But then the other one that I come to a lot more now, and it's one that I never really watched when I was younger, but it's definitely something I turned to more since becoming a mother, a sort of body horrors. Mm. I think because of being like a one woman walk-in body horror for the best part of two years, having two children (laughs) under the age of two, it really sort of highlighted how the body can be so horrific in real life and I definitely got a deeper appreciation for a lot of films like that not even just pregnancy horrors like something as simple as I watched The Fly quite a lot over that time never ever seen it before watched it around like 2020 when I was expecting my eldest daughter and thought this is the best like this is so good this is so scary on like the levels of like the body change and how the body can sort of betray you and do things that are so scary then also in those films we get i think some of the most impressive practical effects Mm. but you look at things like the thing even now like the original the thing it's just spectacular like everything in it is just amazing things like alien they're just brilliant yeah and actually the kind of swinging around to like our kind of earlier conversation like i do think that that's why a lot of these films and maybe there is a point to some type of criticism of modern horror but i guess just modern film in general but you know so many of these like big classic horror films from the 70s and 80s 
like they stand the test of time because of the amazing practical effects. Like any film that had Tom Savini in the effects department. Oh, absolutely. Like, is just, it's a banger. <laughs> it's a banger. You just know because it's going to look so fucking realistic and terrifying. And I do think there is something to be said like about the criticism of modern cinema and that so much of it is leaning now away from practical effects and more into using CG and stuff like that. Because I do think that is an argument I can kind of get behind. Because like, you know, if you like, you know, rewatch like some films like from like late 90s to early 2000s when CG was kind of first being brought out and like, that does not stand the test of time. You're watching it and you're just like, oof, this is, uh, I'd say at the time it looked amazing, but now it's like not that amazing. So yeah, yeah. I do think the best kind of modern horror films are the ones that lean into still using practical, but if they need to, they'll throw CG at it, but they're very much practical at the foundation. But yeah, I love those um, subgenres you listed. And yeah, for me as well, body horror is definitely one of the most affecting ones because again i think it's like in general like without going a huge match of tangent but like you know when it comes to philosophy i'm very much like in the camp of embodiment and that i think we are embodied people fuck descartes saying that there is this separate soul that's separate to the body nope we're all this one interconnected flesh machine and that's why i think body horror is so affecting because you can't escape your body that's where you're housed and particularly you know over the last few years as a person who used to believe they were cis and has now kind of realized i'm genderqueer non-binary what the fuck is gender anyway it makes body horror more interesting as well because there's so much going on in my brain about how I feel in my body at times. Um, but yeah, it's such an affecting subgenre. <laughs> and I love that. Like you mentioned the Pokiski tapes, because I only watched them for the first time like a few weeks ago. And again, so affecting, so like powerful, but also like, <laughs> and this is like where I'm just like, I don't know if this is something that I need to go to therapy for or not. But there was times like, you know, in scenes where he like has like the victim kind of tied up in a particular way and stuff like that. I'm just looking at it and going, I don't know if it's the intention of the film, but that kind of looks a bit hot. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I know it's not because this person does not want to be in that situation, but like consensually, if I was tied up in that way, that could kind of be fun. But <laughs> it was just like, yeah, I, I've just confessed that to all my podcast listeners. Enjoy. <laughs> I do think that's interesting, though, because of how the film, like, spoiler alert, because of how the film ends with one of the women in it, obviously, suffering from Stockholm Syndrome. I do think that's interesting that if it is intentional, if that's the effect it has on the viewer to get them on side, not necessarily on side, but sort of align them with the killer, oh. that would be fabulous if that was <laughs> deliberate. <laughs> All right, director of Pookies, come, come, like, <laughs> let us know. Did you intentionally want to turn people on with your BDSM scene? <laughs> I need to know. But, <laughs> but that's, um, I think that's a perfect point to, to close out our conversation on. But actually, no, one t- final closing words from you. We've kind of touched on it a little bit as we've been talking about, you know, horror as a genre of film, what it's always doing it's always being regressive it's always commenting on society or attempting to where do you think like the future of horror is are we going to continue stepping into more progressive horror or do you feel that we might potentially become a bit regressive and step backwards I think it touches, like you say, it touches on something we spoke about earlier. I think horror is very much like fashion everything sort of comes back into fashion I feel like we're seeing that now we're sort of seeing 80s influence horrors quite a lot and I feel like it'll definitely keep going in cycles I'm always interested in seeing what is going to come next obviously because I've like mentioned my children I really hope they do sort of enjoy film I mean my eldest is really getting into film now herself she'll want to watch like the Studio Ghibli films and things like Beetlejuice I'm always interested in where the genre is going to go and what they're going to enjoy compared to what I enjoy compared to my parents compared to my Mm. grandparents looking back now like my nan showed me things like Mars Attacks and a lot of sort of silly B movies and things like it that's come back around now for my generation so I sort of wonder if things that like skipping my mom in that sort of generational shift whether things that my mom was interested in will then come in for my daughters Mm. I feel like it'll definitely always come in waves and flows I hope things continue to be more progressive we see 
better representation, more sex scenes in horror, ideally, things that are more <laughs> rounded and that we don't sort of regress into these puritanical, censored horror films. I do hope, I mean, there is a lot of promise in a lot of up-and-coming directors that we've seen and indie directors. We've seen even more LGBTQ directors mm. and black inclusive people of colour like really hitting the mainstream with their horror films and it's amazing to see and getting such an incredible reaction like mention it again raging grace at fright fest getting a stand innovation something that just doesn't really happen and i think that film's really going to prove a hit and I, I really hope it does purely because it's telling a story from like an immigrant community that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily see otherwise and i hope we continue to see that for generations to come I really, really do. We're lucky, I think, to be in this time that we're seeing such a drive in representation, these amazing stories being told. But there's definitely more to be done. I really hope that the generation coming up doesn't listen to the voices shouting back against it, saying, no, we shouldn't have this. And they listen to the people saying, like, you know, this is why this representation is important. This is why the horror genre needs to go forward. And they carry the torch forward. 100%. And yes, that is. That is a perfect point to close out on. Um, amazing, amazing point. And yes, I'm both, I'm hesitantly excited for the future of horror. I think it can only continue to strive to move forward. If I think there's enough people now, both as fans and also making films, that I don't think we'll see the regression that we're seeing in other areas. But yes, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful we're going to continue to get fantastic progressive horror from progressive voices but yes um thank you again for coming on and having this conversation it has been so much fun before i let you go where can people find you and support your work so as i said before my name is rebecca sace i am a freelance entertainment and seo journalist you can find me over on x or twitter as it should be called, at BL Says Writes. You can also find me over on Blue Sky at the same handle. You can find my email addresses there. You can also find my portfolio with links to my work at Metro UK, Digital Spy, Ghouls Magazine and Moving Pictures Film Club and then other places that I've previously written as well, such as Dread Central, Screen Rant and What Culture. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much again. And to my listeners, keep your eyes and ears peeled for the last few remaining episodes in my Why Horror series.